listening to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, where women who are ready to expand their life adventure discover the tools to stop playing small and tap into the courage required to enjoy their Second Wind. Welcome. We've got a spectacular guest today. And I am just going to jump almost right in, but I have something to tell you about first. Um, I am offering a great opportunity for that special woman out there that really wants to know more about herself. Now, maybe there's some transition you've gone through in your life, a good place to change, to look at your values, to, to think, am I really going right? You know, those things like, Major things like job, loss of job, loss of a marriage, loss of a mate, uh, children leaving the nest. There's so many things that cause us to stop and think about where we are, who we are. So if you are the courageous woman out there that really wants to know, what do I do now? Where do I go now in my life? then I want you to think about this upcoming offer that I have. It's about finding your values, finding you. And it's the fastest path that I know to an effortless happiness. That is, you know, part of my book that I wrote was on the values. When I personally went through my transition, I had no idea who I was. And so... This is why I offer you this great opportunity. Go to Second Wind with Joyce slash Find Values. Second Wind with Joyce. Wait, with Joyce.com at gmail.com and slash Find Values. Now, did you get that? That was a little confusing. I'm so sorry about that. But anyway. If you are really curious about who you are and where you want to go, then I really invite you to be a part of this upcoming, very simple, two-day, two-hour workshop. So let me tell you about this brave, um, exciting guest that we are having today. She is a woman racer. This is my first racer that I've ever had on my, on my program, and she is a philanthropist. 64-year-old Renee Breckenhoff has traveled the world for one cause, to rescue children around the globe from human trafficking. Through her car racing and fundraising arms, Valkyrie, Valkyrie, I'm saying Valkyrie Racing, Valkyrie Gives, she is challenging the global community to take part in her $1 million mission, a philanthropic effort that coincides with her own endurance conquest to complete six races, six rallies on seven continents for a total of 20 thousand miles in a vintage Porsche 356 race car, bringing her message on a global journey. Her final frontier will be this, a winter race in Antarctica. 
where Renee takes on a final 356 miles on ice and attempts a land speed record on the blue ice at Union Glacier. Glacier. Ah, Renee, I know this. I know you maybe said, why is she reading all this? But it's just so full of excitement and real intrigue, I think, for the normal listener. So welcome. Joyce, thank you so much for having me. I am super honored to be on your show. Really and excited about the next hour ahead. Yes. <laughs> and thank you for that wonderful introduction. I mean, I just, it's great. <laughs> thank you. There's really a, a difficult decision of where to stop because you you have gone through such a transition. And I want my listener to know that you are you are a typical mom having raised four children, homeschooled, which is just, I'm my hat's off to you. I just think that's awesome. But you, that's that was your earlier life, correct? That's it, exactly. And got married in college and started a family shortly afterwards mm-hmm. and ended up homeschooling four children. And, and that was a very big part of my life. <laughs> well, why did you go into the homeschooling? Was it... Uh, because I know it's it's really a major responsibility when you have four. Um, East Texas has a lot of homeschooling um, parents here, but I'm curious as to why you chose this. You know, I homeschooled my kids because it was really the best option for them. I never purposed to homeschool. In fact, when I started doing homeschooling. It was in the early 80s, and it was very new, and people that homeschooled were thought to be a bit odd. Mm -hmm. And I knew a few moms who were doing it and just thought, gosh, I don't want to do that. I'm going to, you know, (laughs) my kids are going to go to regular school. And But what happened was when I um, had our children, for me, being mom was also being their teacher. So I taught them to read when they were real little, like two and a half, three years old. They were reading and then they were, you know, and then I would just get them doing math and all these things. So what happened is they got really ahead of themselves. And when I tried to integrate them into um, school, I, in, I tried public school and private school. They were just being bounced around and it just didn't seem like a wholesome thing for them. So I said, okay, I'm going to try homeschooling. And that's how it got started. And I thought, I'm going to do it one year at a time, take it one year at a time. And then it ended up being a 20 year, you know, process. Um, <laughs> Never anticipated it, but that's what we did. A 20-year career there you had. Exactly. And it, really, it, it is so wonderful. I think that I have seen homeschoolers move really fast, as you pointed out. They can move much faster than in, in an organized um, classroom. But it just takes such a commitment. And so I really applaud you for doing that. You're probably really close to your children, I would think, because of this experience, um, to have spent that much time together. And then you just go on, I assume, hopefully, you took trips to museums and to countries and, and really expanded their world vision. Exactly. So my our homeschooling was we worked with other parents, and if I didn't have a skill in a certain subject, we'd pull our resources together and someone else would teach art and I might teach math. And, and then we 
went out and used everything in the community that was available to us. And there's so much out there that's free. Uh, you know, our taxpayers' dollars pay for it. And, uh, you know, for all those museums. Um, and, we, and, and then we would hire teachers, um, experts, tutors in fields that none of us had skills in. So we might bring in a creative writing teacher, et cetera. So our, it was a very eclectic, collaborative uh, program that we had. Yeah. So when they decided to go off, they all got scholarships, I understand, and moved on, and uh, they completed their school. Have they now? And yeah. they're all working? Yes, exactly. Yeah. My children range in age from 33 to 40 years old. <gasps> oh, my. That's impossible, really. <laughs> that's impossible. I'm doing the math here. <laughs> now... After they decided, you had a decision, and it was so interesting in our visiting about this, how you were called to do what you do now in your present day. Again, you know, it's all those unexpected things that happen in life. You go through one door and you find yourself in a place you never imagined. And uh, just like I never purposed to homeschool, I never purposed to race a car, nor did I purpose to be fighting for kids that are being trafficked in the world. So yeah. it was, um, it, it was, and it's amazing. I'm so blessed and thankful for all these things, but I never would have imagined that I'd be here today. Well, what came, I mean, what came first, the, the idea to race or the idea that you wanted to support and stop trafficking? be a part of that? Well, it was the racing that happened first. And the racing was a one-liner that I heard myself saying literally while folding laundry. <laughs> I, and then I realized, Renee, you've been saying this to yourself for a long time, like maybe 20 to 30 years you've been saying this. And when I realized that, I thought, oh, wow, what have I been saying that for? You know, And it was one day I'm going to race a car. Mm -hmm. And then it was this huge epiphany of how what that meant to me all those years, you know, that I had that private conversation. But then it was, now what are you going to do with that? You've been saying that. Now what are you going to do? And so I knew I had to go do that. So it really was a have to. I only intended to do one race. So I checked that box. So I fulfilled that personal obligation. But the racing had a, took a life of its own, and it changed my life. And out of that became so many things. And part of that was what we're doing right now uh, globally to fight child trafficking. Mm -hmm. So got the car. You decided to be interesting. You have, to, you have to go to her website to see this absolutely adorable car. I mean, it's cute. And yet it's so functional for you. But um, you, I'll let you tell about where they can go to your website to see it. But what? tell us more about, I mean, you're very unique being a woman carter, uh, racer. You're not a racer. You're a rally driver. And we need to understand the difference there. But, but uh, you're very unique there. But then you also chose a very unique name for your company or your yeah, company. So tell us about that. Okay. Well, we are Valkyrie Racing and Valkyrie Gives, and we named ourselves Valkyrie 
because of what Valkyries are in Norse mythology. They are, I know I, I heard about Valkyries as well, what is that? And they're women warriors with compassionate hearts and they would leave Valhalla, which is the Scandinavian heaven. They would go down to the battlefield and they would rescue the worthy that were wounded and that were dying and they'd take them back up to heaven and they'd restore their life. They'd heal them and restore life. And when I heard that, it's like, oh, wow. You know, that's we in our heart, we desire to be modern day Valkyries. And that's how we chose the name. Yes. So it really is a, a woman inspired um, movement, isn't it? Your your daughter races as as partner with you now or is what what's her position called? <laughs> the so Christina Brinkerhoff, um, so I have four children, two boys and two girls, and Christina's my youngest, and she works with me hand-in-hand uh, in, hand in Valkyrie Racing and Valkyrie Gives, and she helps with operations. She helps if we have a film crew or if we have camera people. She helps a huge amount in um, Valkyrie Gives and vetting the organizations that we're going to support and, you know, we're constantly switching hats. We do everything that, you know, the two of us and that it's entailed in this. And then my other daughter, Juliet, I had the honor of having her in the car with me. It's the first time I've had any of my family in the car with me racing. And that was last um, December. So uh, it's very much uh, a woman's. Um, it is, you know, I, I've just, you know, when I first started racing, first of all, I just have to tell you, I didn't even know that motorsports was a man's sport. That's how ignorant I was. And I like it wasn't that. until I started racing that I realized that I was in a man's world. And sometimes I'm the only woman out of 300 drivers or, you know, there's so many instances like that. And, and then I realized there's, there was a voice for women. There was something to do for women. And, but it wasn't intentional. It just happened. I, you know, yeah. by fulfilling my one liner, all this just came about. Yes. Now, for my also for my listeners because I there's so much to understand in your story. What is the difference when it's not racing like going around a track that many of us are very familiar with? You are doing a rally, but it is a, a it is a type of race. But it, explain what a rally race. Is. So rally racing is on roads. Just, you know, roads out there, public roads, and they can be gravel roads with ruts and mud and sand and everything else, or they can be paved tarmac roads, depends upon the event, and they take roads. Some of the races, the roads are closed, so hypothetically, no traffic will be on those roads. And, and you don't have to worry about that, though it's not always the case. And in other races, the, um, the roads are open, and you do have to be concerned with public traffic. But it's flat out, full-on, fast as you can, fast as you dare, uh, racing. And it's that whole balance of being fast but not crashing and mm -hmm. getting to the finish. And sometimes those races are two days. Sometimes they're seven, ten days. It just depends <laughs> on the event. Wow. Now you have completed, you chose to do these in different countries or is that, is that where they're raced? Is that where rally races are? They're in other countries. Right. We have rally racing in the United States and that form of racing here is primarily off-road. 
So mm -hmm. it'll be on dirt and gravel roads. Yeah. Um, some countries have both forms of that. So in Mexico, you can race on gravel or you can race on tarmac. And we've, you know, purpose to go around the world to message what we care about is about kids being trafficked. And we have found unique races in, uh, in every continent. And uh, some of these are on gravel. Some of them are on tarmac. And we find races that are super challenging for the car. That either there's never been that kind of car there or there's never been an old car. It's all modern cars. And we mm -hmm. put an old car in it or there's never been a woman driver before or any combination of those. We do all those things to find the biggest challenge we can. So we found the biggest challenge we can, the odder we are, the bigger our voices, the more attention we get, the more we can talk about why we're racing. Yeah. Now, you are a very good racer. You are usually in the winning circle, correct? Well, when we went to Mexico, which is my first event, we went to the La Carrera Panamericana, and it's a race that started in 1950. They mm -hmm. ran that race for five years, I believe, and they stopped it. There was a huge amount of crashes and fatalities, and um, they resumed that race in either the 60s or the 70s, I believe. And uh, that was my first race that I participated in. And I had no idea that it was a really dangerous race, even in this day and age. Uh, first morning out that I went in my first race, uh, two brothers in a car. In, because this type of racing, you have a navigator and he calls your turn. So yeah. you are driving what he tells you. You know, you drive what you see, but then he's telling you what you don't see. So you can prepare for all the road up ahead, you know, how fast to go into a corner, et cetera. Well, the first morning of my race experience, someone died. Um, the navigator died, two brothers. A few days later, you know, cars catching on fire, going off cliffs. So wow. over a 30% attrition race, rate in that race. And that was my baptism of fire. And we ended up winning in the, my first year in that race in my car and my team. We made history, and we've been back. We went back four years. We've podiumed every time, either first or second, and that's the race that we cut our teeth on and have had the most success in. And then after that, we just really upped the ante and put ourselves in races that were even harder for us as a team. So we sometimes the the goal has been just to get across the finish line because the car is not suited for the race which was our experience in Africa. And other times it's, you know, to try to place. So it's, it's different in every event. Now, are these measured in uh, difficulty, the races, the rallies that you go to? You look at the difficulty. You say you want to keep growing in your skills and your, in your <laughs> competitiveness, but um, are they ranked as far as difficulty? And is there kind of a ladder that you go up as you, uh, compete more and more? The racing that I'm doing is with a vintage or a classic car. Yeah. And uh, and the kind of races that I'm putting my car in, there I would say no. There aren't any type of rankings. In, in world rally racing, yes. Um, those are, you know, regulated and they have, there's ranking and you have to do well in one race to qualify for another race. These races are typically one-off races that you just, you sign up for, you, you know, throw your hat in the ring with everybody else and you learn about how hard they are, difficult by reading about them and talking to people and then looking at the photos, right? So, uh -huh. you know, it's through our research that we picked these events. Yeah. Okay. Now you're, your biggest and um, the whole reason that you decided to to 
take this and move into the very serious problem that we have not only in the United States, but in the world, is trafficking. And and it was, you shared that it was such a great area to be highlighting your bigger mission because of its pull of um, men that are more involved, I think, in trafficking, but because it's usually women and children that are trafficked. Trafficked. Did I say that right? Yeah. Uh, so, so tell us about how well that fits and how pleased you are that that is what draws the attention to you. Well, because I'm participating in events that, first of all, in this motorsport arena, there aren't many women. Secondly, mm-hmm. there aren't any women that started at my age or that race at my age and that they typ- and that typically do well. So we have a lot of things that draw attention to us and we found we have a voice and we wanted to grow that voice globally and that's why we created Project 356 World Rally Tour to go around the world and raise awareness and donate money in the countries we go to, etc. Um, but this whole issue of human trafficking was something, again, that really found us. It wasn't something that I went looking for. It's, um, you know, we, I've always, uh, we're, you know, philanthropic in our giving is, you know, as, as a family, as a couple, we've always been very minded that way to help others. And when we would go to Mexico or races, we would help the people there when we would go bring things or money, et cetera. But when uh, this, this found me, and let me, I'll just share with you quickly. I was sitting on a bus next to a young couple engaged, started a conversation with them. And found out he worked for the FBI, found out what he does, and he's an undercover agent that poses as a John, which is a customer, a buyer, a male buyer, mm-hmm. and uh, for child pornography. So he was trying to find people. His job is to find people that are making child pornography, selling child pornography, and using child pornography. And I had no um, awareness of this as being a problem in our country. And if it was, it would I thought it would be a very small problem, but it's a very big problem. And he educated me on that, and I subsequently called him several times and learned more about that and realized that that feeds child trafficking a lot. They're very, very connected. Learned And then just started learning about this global issue. And again, it's... You know, a chance happenstance, we could call it, though I don't believe in coincidences. I was sitting on another bus, and I sat down next to a man on a Hertz rental bus going to pick up a car in a lot and looked over. As I sat down, looked over at him, and he had his phone open, and I saw a pornographic image of a very young child. And this happened shortly after I talked to this FBI man, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? What is going on here? The, both of these things grabbed my heart, seared me inside, and gave me such distress about what's happening to children. And I thought I need to do something about it. And that all was happening at the same time where we were realizing we had this voice. And so it came together very organically. And we created this a way to talk about this globally. And, uh, you, know, you know, I don't know if your audience realizes, but Human trafficking is the second largest illegal business in the world next to drug trafficking. And one major difference between them is drugs are consumables. They're used once and that's it. 
whereas people can be sold over and over and over again. And children can be sold over and over and over again. And it's a $150 billion industry annually. There are up to 25 to 40 million victims globally of human trafficking, and 25% of those are children. And the number and the demand for children is growing. So that means we have anywhere from eight, five to eight million children that are being annually sold, primarily for sex, also for labor. The number, the demand is growing, and that's just the numbers we can grasp. And we always realize, even with drug trafficking, the problem is much bigger than we can actually put a handle on. And we, you know, want to do something about that. So we, as you mentioned earlier, we have a million-dollar fund drive that we're doing, and I can tell you more about it, but I'm going to let you ask what you think your listeners would be interested in. Well, you mentioned just a little bit about that. What What is it when somebody is involved from the um, in human trafficking? What are we really dealing with? Is it as... Is it for sex? Is it for um, what would be some of the other reasons that they would even be drawn to this? Well, you know, it's you're taking a person and you're making them a commodity. You're taking the weak, the poor, the uneducated, the vulnerable, whether in our country it's 13, 14-year-old girls who are on the Internet and are insecure and they're chatting with someone and being drawn into a relationship and then finding out um, that, you know, this person, you know, there's a whole story that happens and that story happens over the world, you know, of emotionally connected to somebody. They end up sharing, you know, asked to be shared nude photos and then they're compromised that way. Sometimes they're blackmailed that those photos will be shown to their family members and shamed. Sometimes they're, uh, you know, they be, they become intimate with this person and then this person says, you know, oh, I have a problem with money. Would you mind, you know, just helping me out here? And so it, there's so many ways that, you know, it looks the way it looks in our country and in other countries. But even in countries that aren't as affluent as ours, the story is the same. They're either lied to, that they have a job, and they're going to be paid. And sometimes they are given a job that's not selling themselves as um, you know, for sex. Sometimes it is a job, but then they're never paid for that job. Their passport, their identification papers are taken. They're forbidden to go home or talk to their family members. A lot of times they don't know the language of the country they're in. Um, you know, trafficking is typically and mostly for sex. Mm-hmm. It's mostly, as you said, women and children, but it also is labor. And it's, um, it's a growing problem and it's a growing industry. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned in our visit that it was for young boys. It's also young boys that are taken in as uh, part of that trafficking as well. We are going to um, leave for just a few minutes to have a little commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some more of this because I think Renee has a very unique opportunity. She has certainly stepped up to to face this, to grab it, and to stop it as much as you can. And so it really takes not just a one woman's effort, it takes us all, because it is just horrendous that it's even happening. So when we come back, we're going to talk about opportunities that, and how she has gotten involved with actually some of the feet on the ground 
um, detective opportunities. So our work. So we are going to take this short break. And when we come back, Renee has much more to share with us. So please be back with us. Transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. It's marching down Do you live next door to someone with a dog that barks all the time? As I'm writing this, my neighbor's dog has been barking nonstop for over an hour now. Studies show one-third of dog owners own at least one nuisance barker. Doesn't it enter their minds that neighbors have been subjected to their dog barking all day? What's a word for a person like me who's a chronic complainer? A mizzler. Dogs that are most likely to be nuisance barkers are from the herding breeds such as Collies, German Shepherds, and Kelpies. Barking may be caused by separation anxiety or perceived threats in the environment. What's a word for the act of barking? Latration. Why is it dogs don't like it when you blow in their face, but love to stick their head out the window when they ride in a car? It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford. The author of Effortless Happiness continues in this segment to share insights that will help you live a life of greater purpose and filled with happiness. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. Thanks for being I am so excited to share this great news. One, because it has several opportunities and messages here. One is that Renee after she had completed her very important job of helping her children, moved on to her next mission in life. And it's such a huge, it's such a big mission, but she has been led, put into opportunities of great, uh, I want to say doors are opening. And she has really taken this on as a major major part of her life going forward. So the race car became through a message she got, and then that became, and it grew into a purpose. And the purpose was to address and learn more and become involved in human trafficking. One of the things that I think we as listeners many times are totally we're, we're like walking around with blinders on. We can't see that there is really wickedness and just awful things happening 
because we live in a rose-colored world sometimes. I know I was very surprised once I realized we had trafficking in my little town. Now, we don't think that way, but Renee has been given the opportunity, and she's sharing that with us today. So I'm going to, we're really going to talk about the trafficking world so that you can be more informed and you can think about being a part of this in some way. Maybe your part is only financially gifting because she has a big mission, $1 million mission to help children all over the world. So before I go on, okay, you can see I'm into this, Renee. I really, really applaud you and think that it's just awesome what you're doing. Awesome. So, so we had just talked about your Valkyrie um, Racing is the name of your racing company. And then you also have a foundation called Valkyrie Gives. And for people to go, because I want them to go to your website for several reasons. Her website is Valkyrie, V-A-L-K-Y-R-I-E. R-A-C-I-N-G, ValkyrieRacing.com. But when you get there, you're going to see the Valkyrie symbol and, and connect with, of course, it's a woman on the back of a horse with wings that's triumphing over the world and bringing back the wounded and the hurt to give them life. And so... Anyway, so I want you to go to the website because you'll see a lot, and then you'll see the opportunity to be part of this mission through giving, donating, if you will, to this mission. So, uh, Renee, I asked you a question before we went to break about who and how our young people are pulled into something that is uh, really turns out to be so ugly. I mean, they, they just lose themselves. But are these children that are already in trouble or lonely or looking for the Internet has certainly opened up the world to us. And we I mean, I've who hasn't been scammed on the Internet I mean, it's almost impossible. So it's a very simple thing to be drawn into these these men that prey on young people. Yeah, exactly. And it's, as I was saying earlier, the story is the same um, all over the world. And it's, no, it is not girls looking for a job. What, what young girl or boy grows up thinking, I want to be sold for sex every day, Uh 10 times a day. Who dreams about that, right? Of course not. So these are children that are being lured, that are being lied to, whether their parents are being lied to, that if you send your child, you know, know, sometimes it's a relative um, or it's a friend or it's a stranger that comes to a town or a village and says there's job opportunities. And so they, they travel to uh, a destination. Sometimes it's another country. Sometimes, you know, it's a six-hour bus ride from home. And they get there, and it's not what they were told. They are lied to. 
So they're either, um, and I'm going to talk about sex trafficking in particular because that's what I've had most um, experience with. But I was had the opportunity to. Well, should I just launch in? I, so I've had the opportunity to participate in under undercover investigation, and you know we all have three things. We have our time, and we have our talent, and we have our money, and we give those, and we give those for for you know our families, and or to create job opportunities for ourselves, or we donate those things to others. And he, with us and Valkyrie Gives, we are donating our time and our talent and our money, and we've gone all in. And that means we've gone into even being a part of investigative work, where you go undercover. You have hidden video cameras in your bag. You go into places and you get evidence that is then given to local operatives that are working with local law enforcement to get people arrested, mm -hmm. arrested and thrown in jail. Because if you just rescue children, they will always get another child. Yes. It's a resource that is just constantly replenished. It's out there, right? There are plenty of children to, be, to victimize. So um, you need to arrest the traffickers. And how you do that, the easiest way to do that is if you find them selling minors, underage children, because those laws are, are easier. So adults are also trafficked. Adults are also lied to. It's much harder to prove a case like that in court, and it's much harder to win a case like that. And people that are selling children are also selling adults. So it's, you know, it's not just children. And, but to, to get in there and make arrests, you find, need evidence that they're selling children. So, for instance, um, I'll go into a go-go bar with a couple other people, and, you know, I've gone through extreme vetting and psychological testing, the same kind of testing they use for the FBI, and a whole process to, to be qualified to go do this. And then you, you'll go in a place, sometimes you're stopped, they check your bag to see if you've got a camera in there, and uh, they're hidden, so thankfully they've never found it. And then you go in and you just start, you just become a part of that environment. You act like you're there to have fun. You act like you're there to be like everybody else in that place. And girls are wearing, and s some places it's boys, if you're in boys town, other places it's girls. And the places I've been to have just been girls, and they'll have a number on. And you call them over by their number. And the younger they are, they don't speak your language. They don't speak English. And um, so you're using Google Translate or sign language or you're just, you know, communicating with your hands or through smiles or whatever. But our job is to befriend them, to find out how old they are and hear their story and then get evidence of trying to, to you know, of talking to the mama-san or the papa-san I'll be very specific in the places that I've been and finding out how much, how much for this person for what they call short, long, short time or long time. And, and then you get that evidence and then you give it to the police. So we go around and sometimes you're just walking through a place and you're just literally just checking it out, just like you were if you were partying. And you're going to a bar and say, is this a place I want to hang out or not? Believe me, I've never, ever, ever put my foot in a place like this ever in my life. I never imagined it. I had no desire. And it was it was never something that I found, you know, a good thing for people to do, right? Uh, go to a place where you can observe uh, women who are either naked or scantily clothed. And you can see them performing things for, for customers right there in front of you. But we look for we look for 
children. And then if we don't see any, then we leave. And then if we do, then that's we engage with them. We talk to the mama's son, can you have her come over? And then you start gathering evidence. And then, and that's just uh, part of, of it. And so for us, you know, that's being boots on the ground. That's having our own experience of what's really happening and, and trying to stop the problem. So you have to stop people that are buying it and stop people that are selling it. And that will help stop having these children be victimized. Now, the country that you primarily focused on, and I do not bring out, I mean, this is just the country you, you've been working in. This is a global problem. Right. Absolutely. So we've supported people in Africa. We've supported people in Russia. We've supported people in, in South America, Latin America, all over the world. This happens in every single country in this world, every yes. single country, just like it does in ours. It has a different flavor. It looks a little different, but it's all the same. I was I, I Googled uh, before um, getting on today, and I trafficked the some of the cities that have mentioned for most prevalent in in human trafficking in the United States, and I just want to bring this home so you realize it's here so strong, it's Washington, D.C., Nevada, Florida, and in least prevalent, New Hampshire, Idaho, Massachusetts. But even it, Texas was on one of these lists. And, I mean, I was like, Wow, it is here, folks, and that's why we need to be aware of it. And um, so that you, it's also very prevalent in countries that don't value their women as much. Can I say that? Yeah, Yeah. it exactly. In some countries, uh, parents knowingly sell their children. Oh. In some country, because they're poor. Yes. So that I child, that is, you know, that, that in some villages where they have a, a saying that the, all the pretty girls are gone mm. because mm-hmm. they come in and take all the pretty girls. So they'll sell their pretty girl or their pretty boy. And, and so they can feed their other children. So sometimes knowingly parents sell their children for sex, but mostly they don't know what they're being sold for. It's a job. Yeah. It's a job, and they're told that it's a good job, uh-huh. and so so it, it looks it's it looks like men. And sometimes the girls are, are their parents aren't involved. They get lured away, right, and then okay. they're told to run away, or mm-hmm. um, or in a country like let's say Peru, uh, they can be fourteen, sixteen years old, and they're promised a job, and their parents let them go because they need they can't feed that child. They yeah. can't feed them. They can't give them opportunities. So they think they're getting a real job. And so in, the, they're in Peru, for, in particular, there's an area called um, Madre de Dios. And it's uh, notorious. It's one of the most dangerous places in the world. And we're working with some people that are doing rescue in that area and education and rehabilitation. And they uh, have an advertisement. You, you know, and the advertisement obviously is in Spanish. Johnny Walker bottle of red, $35. Basically, it's, it's soles, but it's equivalent to about $35 U.S. And a young girl. That's the bargain. You come here for $35. bucks. we will give you this bottle of booze and a young girl. And then, you know, you want another one, buy another bottle of alcohol. So, you know, it just looks like different things in different places. 
But the story is the same everywhere. Um, it's preying on the weak. It's preying on the, the uneducated. It's preying on, in our country, people, young girls, boys who are insecure, that are having problems at home or, or just having the problems of being in middle school that we all have, right? You go, who am I? Where am I? Where am I? What am I going to do for life? You know, am I pretty? Am I ugly? I need a boyfriend. I don't have a girlfriend. You know, I have pimples on my face. Whatever it is, right? You're insecure. And these people are professionals, and they find in the United States mostly they find them online in chat rooms through the internet, and they 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 be, befriend them and lure them away from their families, and then they end up trafficking in them. And a lot of times they get them on drugs because they can't do these deeds, and the girls are hysterical, the boys are hysterical, so they you know give them drugs, and then it's and then they become adults that are doing this. They started as children, and now they're adults. So <clears throat> that is you know it, it in a nutshell, and. Um, yeah, that's what we're doing. This is nothing, it's nothing new, um, really. I mean, it's been with us for centuries, but the one of the things we see is it's growing. Right. It's more people involved. It's younger children. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a problem that is really becoming... Uh, rampant and so it's not uncommon for us to hear another ring has been collapsed but we must do the work to get them off the street so what is your what is your focus right now Renee because I know you have one more race which you may have to delay because it is in the Antarctica (laughs) right Right. Maybe um, because of the the pandemic, be delayed a year. But um, what are you focusing now on doing um, with your life? Well, we are we are just gearing up. We're getting, you know, we're just jumping in more to do more, be more effective, get more involved, raise more money, give more money. So Valkyrie Gives is an organization unlike most nonprofits. We have no overhead, 0% overhead. We don't take a salary. We don't use any monies donated to do fundraising, marketing, nothing, zero. Every single dollar we bring in, every single dollar goes out. And we double, triple vet organizations around the world that are doing that are grassroots because those are the people that live there. Those are their children. That's their country. They care. They've either been trafficked or know people that have been trafficked or see the heinousness of the crime and want to do something about it. So we find grassroots NGOs that are literally some of them literally giving their lives. One of the people that we're getting ready to support, they tried to blow up in mining areas to kill him because he was rescuing girls and disrupting business. So we're finding passionate people that are literally giving their lives to do something to educate people in villages and in places around the world and in our country so they can't become victims and their parents educate them to rescue them and to do restoration. So we are targeting organizations that we can support in a more sustainable way, a continuous way, instead of just giving them one donation. You know, we've given, I think, in 11 different countries. 
But we want to give uh, strategically to fewer organizations that are struggling, that are doing the most amazing work that need our help. So we're designating those so that we can do something, not just a flash in the pan, but we can keep supporting them so they can keep and continue. They don't lose their home and then have to go get funded for a new home. For instance, in Kenya, we're supporting an organization. There are 300 victims of trafficking. There's one home that is dedicated to victims of trafficking, and they house 25 to 30 children. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, so, and last year, they lost their home. So they now have their home supported. We are supporting them. We want to get, let them know we are there with you. We are alongside you. We are here to stay, to partner with you, to do something to solve this problem. And so we are on a million-dollar fundraise so that we can promise money, that we can give them this money, that they can continue their work. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just phenomenal. We're getting more involved in doing investigative work. We have more opportunity this year to be involved in more countries to do investigative work. And we want to be your boots on the ground. We want to be your hands. We want to be your eyes. So when I'm sitting next to a 14-year-old girl and I'm hugging her and she's being sold and she has a moment of light in her dark life, that she has someone telling her she's pretty and and talking about her life and who she is and not just pawing her and finding out how much it is to use her, she has somebody sitting next to her. And and then as we're also getting evidence, I mean, I want to be your eyes, your hands, your arms, your boots on the ground to do something about this. Yeah. So So strong, so powerful. It is. um, Is there a place where I know part of the mission today is to um, to educate the listener, but it's also to ask the listener, my listener out there, to think about becoming part of this mission. Think about helping a young girl, a young boy, a child, even younger, to get out of this life or to not go into this life and put the the people that create these organizations out of work. So we need money to be able to do that. And that's why Renee is here. And I am so supporting this mission because it is getting serious out there. It is past serious. So if somebody had a question for you, Renee, could they go to the website, uh, ValkyrieRacing.com, and uh, send a message there so that you could answer Absolutely. You can contact us. You know, we have a tab for contact us. You can email and we answer any questions you have. And, you know, I just wanted to say that there's something so beautiful about all of this that I've seen. And it's the resilience of the human spirit that when you give them a lifeline, people heal, children, heal. they grow, they overcome and they're their, their beautiful flower blossoms and they have a new life and they learn, they, it's so it's not, you know, it's this massive problem, and it's, but there's so many amazing stories of, of, of healing and restoration that happened. Right. And, um, so just to remember the resilience of the human spirit and yes, you can email us questions 
you can, you know, I, there might even be a phone number on there that you can call us, but please reach out if you want to know more. If we haven't, you know, we're growing our information base on our website. That's just the two of us, my daughter and myself. And so we, you know, there's more that we need to do to put more information out there. So if you have questions, please do contact us and ask, and we would love to be in conversation with you. Well, I might ask this because somebody might be thinking about this. If, uh, how do you make your decisions about what countries, if somebody was giving and they particularly want the money to go to um, trafficking in the United States, is there a way for them to request something like that? I think you should absolutely email and ask to, to have your money designated. And if you would like to do that, we would absolutely honor that. We yes. do support organizations in the United States and, of course, globally. And it doesn't matter if the children are here. Every single child, every life matters. Um, every single life is worth doing something. You know, every child matters. And so and we just, yeah. yes, they can. Um, and then I have another question on my mind. I know that one becomes very, very involved in um, in a cause. And... Many times it's because they've experienced it. And so have you been able to use the knowledge and the, um, of those people that were involved as women? Are they involved? I, w- I would think so many once they got out and once they had been, you know, taken away from all that life, they would want to be involved. Is it do they like that? Is that something that you see happening? Absolutely. So I've never been a victim of trafficking. I'm very thankful that I don't have that as part of my story. But many, many people that are involved in this have been victimized. Either they were, um, you know, victimized by a a family member or they were sold in, in this kind of story that I've been telling you where they've been promised a job and then they were sold for sex, you know, mm-hmm. and they get out. Many, many people that are working in these organizations have had that part of their, uh, that, that is part of their story. Mm-hmm. They would really have, have the, oh, the courage and the knowledge to save so many lives, you know, just because they've experienced, there's certain amount of passion you have if you've experienced something. Absolutely. You know, really. So, um, so going back to the racing, at the end of your rally, the completion of your final continent, do you have another plan? <laughs> we do have another plan. We do have another plan. So, uh, I, I, and it's not fully developed, and I sort of I keep it under my hat, right? Okay, okay. Yes. We have another plan that's women in more than one car um, in, a, in, a, in a way that will bring yeah, more attention to what we're doing. So, um, so it will involve continuing with the racing. If at all possible. Yes. yes. I will share with you, Joyce, once we've developed it and it's there, but I'm really excited about it. So whether or not the racing goes on, this goes on. What we're doing for children will go on. Yes. And 
And the, the vehicle of, of literally using the car is just a means to give more awareness and to get more people involved and engaged. And we can talk about it, right, when they put that microphone in front of your face, when you just got out of your car and you're the only woman driving and there's, you know, 15 women waiting for you and there's some buddy from a news station and you tell them why you're doing it, right? You get those people involved, you get them educated and they're donating and all. But in, yes, we do have other projects involved with the car uh, with more women involved, so I won't be just the only woman in the car. It will be with more women involved that we can continue what we're doing. I love this. Uh, Renee, this is this is the saddest thing I have to say, and it's that we're coming to the end of the hour. But we have shared so much good information. I know there are people out there that are just blown away by, one, your commitment and your story. Um, you know, we are innocent until we, we are exposed. And so thank you, thank you for coming on to Second Wind with me today to share your message. And for the listener out there, I'm certainly hoping you're going to ValkyrieRacing.com, and there you can donate to this very, very important cause. So thank you, Renee. I look forward to um, connecting again in some way. Joyce, it is an honor, and it's such a pleasure. Thank you very much. Yes. So for you people out there, I've given you a charge, really, to think in, deep inside of you. If you can become part of this mission of Renee's so that you can save some young person and put a mark on the next generation so that they don't have to go through a life of just unbelievable sadness. So go to ValkyrieRacing.com and donate, please. Have a great week. I plan to walk outside today. So I hope you'll join me there. Thank you for being here today and say your blessings for being here today. Joyce Buford returns next week at the same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving the support they need through their transitions and are able to reclaim their true purpose with confidence. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services at JoyceBufordEmpowers.com.